Welcome to the Dao of Wow, a podcast about the intersection of technology, society, and internet culture with a dash of philosophy and art for good measure. I'm Doug Belshaw. And I'm Laura Hilliger. This podcast season is currently partially funded. You can support this podcast and other We Are Open projects and products at opencollective.com slash weareopen. Uh, so, so our guest this week is the inimitable Heather Leeson. Can I say inimitable? Inimitab- inimitable can't be imitated there we go heather leeson who will be doing a great job of introducing herself in a moment but we first met at most fest about a decade ago heather is the and i'm going to make sure i get this right digital innovation lead at the international federation of red cross and red crescent societies who we're now going to call ifrc and she was previously their data literacy lead um, and we'll put a link in our show notes to where you can find out more about heather welcome heather Thank you. I'm really happy to be here with Laura and Doug. It's been it's been a while, and I'm sure we'll have a great conversation. Um, I guess just to tidy up on the introduction or add more details, I've worked at the intersection of kind of open source technology and social impact um, for 12 years before that, working at technology uh, companies, and I'm very excited to meet people who are bringing change in their world, whether it be in their workplace or in their communities and just having chats with them and seeing what we can do together. And so instead of talking about maps, code and data, I'd really like to hear what questions you have for me and what else we can talk about um, that might inspire and engage your audience over. I love that you said over. I feel like we should we should bring that into the podcast more broadly. Over, Roger, Roger. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's just from so, so many calls, you just end up having to like make sure that people know you're done, and so we started to say over. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Um, so the first question that we always ask our guests is, "What is your favorite book um, or books?" If you have a couple, mm-hmm. so do you want to tell us a little bit about what what books are jazzing you up right now? Yeah, I really thank you for the advance warning on this because I had to do some thinking about what would be, um, what would, how do you choose one, right? I'm like, in which genre would you like me to pick? It's very hard. So I picked Global Soul by Pico Ayer because I liked the view of the world that um, it's not necessarily confined by a nation state view, but that we're here to explore knowledge, society, and how we live and how we interact with the world. And so he really looks at the world like an anthropologist. And so I really love his book. Um, and it's really kind of set the tone for some of my viewpoints in the world. And I thought that that it's not necessarily a usual one that people would get. And the second one is really um, a little bit more political or more rele- relevant towards my work is Invisible Woman, Women, which mm-hmm. I feel is really important because it talks about how the world is designed, um, how data decisions get made made, which might be gender infused or lack of gender infused um, and therefore could change how, for example, toilets are mapped. Um, what Are they de- mapped by gender? Do people feel safe? Um, that's something we talk about in OpenStreetMap. So just, just to say that it's really interesting to think through what is it we're actually doing with the data. And so I really thought that book was um, powerful and it drew, drew some very powerful conversations in my workplace um, from it over. Yeah, I I read Invisible Women too, and I I just found it so fascinating how many things in our world are actual decisions that disempower um, mm-hmm. without without even realizing it, you know. And there's some there's you know the in, internet meme culture. There's plenty of um, you know 
examples of this that are pretty well known, like, you know, like the whole fact that women don't have pockets in pants, like they can't fit things in their pockets. Mm-hmm. You know, it's uh, those those little kinds of things that you don't have to think about. Mm-hmm. Um, but Invisible Women really and um, just all of the different studies that she went through in writing that book it really learned a lot about how our societies could be designed a little bit differently that would be better for everyone. Yeah. Doug, have you read Invisible Women as well? I have not, but I've noticed actually you've linked to the Amazon.com page for these books. And I noticed that, I don't know if this is just a an American Amazon.com as opposed to Amazon.co.uk, which I'm used to, but it, it has the popular highlights from the Kindle version of the book embedded in the page. And just reading some of it looks definitely like the kind of book that I need to be reading. Like it says, when you've been so used as a white man to white and male going without saying, it's understandable that you might forget that white and male is an identity too. Um, mm-hmm. And that white men only consider identity politics to be when it's about race and sex um, rather than the economy or any kind of wider issues as well. So yeah, it looks like something I, I need to need yeah. to read. Yeah. you. I, I mean, you'll definitely Doug, like your, your views on cooperatism or on, you know, some of the things that you think about labor, uh, some mm. of the views that you've talked about in the past on on this podcast and just to me, you, you will definitely resonate with this book <clears throat> and, and a lot that happens in it. So, great. so I know you so wanted to um, kind of, there's loads of things which we could and want to get onto, but I know that you mentioned OpenStreetMap there. And I know that some people listening to this podcast will know exactly what that is. Maybe they've contributed to it before, et cetera, but some people might not know what that is and, and why you might've been involved with that. So could you just quickly explain maybe what OSM is and, how you contributed to it and you don't have to get into the nitty-gritty of you know gender issues and politics and stuff if you don't want to Mm -hmm. but like just explain what that is so people know the kind of background you're coming from sure um and thanks for the question because it actually does relate back to invisible women um and so i promise to pull a thread from there um open street map is kind of like the wikipedia of maps it's a free and open map of the world created by the global community there's millions of people involved um, I have been involved in OpenStreetMap since 2010. My uh, joining of OpenStreetMap um, was specifically because of uh, the earthquake in Haiti. I, I got involved with something called, which became an organization called Humanitarian OpenStreetMap, which tries to um, contribute to the map, whether it be uh, data points or information or, or, or residual products. Um, that can help people interact with the information in their world. And so humanitarian OpenStreetMap and OpenStreetMap is about data in terms of power and inclusion. And it's really kind of um, important to think about who puts data on the map and then what happens with the map data. Now, OpenStreetMap is, again, a global community. Humanitarian OpenStreetMap is a global community part of OpenStreetMap community. Um, they're part of the larger family of open source. Um, but let's just, just let's just check how big OpenStreetMap is. It is used in many of the products online that you can see um, where OpenStreetMap maps and the data that's been collected by communities and the versions of the world by local communities it, it is consumed by it. Um, and so that's really exciting to see OpenStreetMap maps around the world. So when you are looking at your news website or you are looking at a product to be able to find out how to navigate, you know, TripAdvisor or what have you, um, just look and see who cre- created the map. And that's an open community. Now, an OpenStreetMap, just to kind of pull it back to um, women and data, it's 
it's been really contentious as to who leads the working groups and how we organize ourselves, right? And this is this is important because when we're talking about communities, we want to be as inclusive, diverse, and as equal as possible. And so I am one of the first women involved in Humanitarian OpenStreetMaps board. There are now many women involved, especially women from what I like to call the majority world. Um, but when, when I joined, I was one of the first women who was also on the board of OpenStreetMap Foundation. And so it's really important that women um, uh, get Get involved in, and and all genders for that matter, um, but it's also really important to say that when you're making decisions about what goes on the map, or what data is, or what the model is, or what what's reflected about communities, that all communities are involved in that conversation. So that it's not, um, I'm from Northern Canada, so it's not a girl from Northern Canada making decisions about what should be on the map in Vietnam. It should be the community in Vietnam saying this is what is wrong in our community, or this is what needs to be fixed, or here's where here's where the street intersects. And so that's the power of global communities, um, to go back to Pico Air, is that you never know um, how your community interacts. And so we have this kind of mesh network, like any other open community, where we have a global community, we have a local community, they have decisions about how they interact, there's policies, procedures, codes of conduct, um, etiquette guidelines, moderation guidelines. And so how do we make it a healthy space? Um, and how do we make sure that the data that's reflected on this open map um, reflects the values of the community and the decisions of the community. And so Humanitarian OpenStreetMap works very hard on that um, in terms of having local communities and their local, um, the open mapping hubs, they drive um, decision-making for that. And so while they work with local partners and they work with global satellite imagery providers and then the, the corporate social responsibility, um, it's more about community center and maps. So there's a lot to unpack there, I'm sure, but I just wanted to say yeah. that um, OpenStreetMap's more than the product or the map; it's the community around it, and that's what that's what got me involved. And so, what's my role? I do governance, I do documentation. I'm interested in making sure that it's a safe and healthy community. So I've been promoting that for many years, and and very excited that we're going to be at State of the Map soon. Um, talking about what does it mean to be a leader in our communities. Uh, and we're inviting people to come and share what does that mean? Because leader can be a small L, large L, or what have you, but it comes back down to who is the community. That's awesome. And I I realized I kind of asked that question before you got to your third book. So let's just make sure that we get that in. Um, but just on the OpenStreetMap thing, um, you've gone really deep and you've done a great job of... Um, governance and getting everyone involved in mm -hmm. things um i i think i've done this maybe once or twice but you can download like an android app i don't know if you can get for mm -hmm. ios and like go wandering in your own local neighborhood and fix things which are on the map which is such an empowering thing to do mm -hmm. um and i think my local area is actually not because of me but my local area is actually better represented on OpenStreetMap than it is on Google Maps. Yes. Um, which is amazing if you think about it, given the resources that yeah. big tech have um, at their disposal. Yeah, and, and big tech's involved, let's be clear, right? Big tech is, is, is they are involved in mapping and working with mapping, um, whether it be uh, Rapid ID, which is was just Facebook or other groups. They're working with local communities to have um, data reflected. But if I was to shout out for one app, um, since it's uh, coming up to spring and summer in the Northern Hemisphere, there's an app called Kamut, 
Um, and it uses OpenStreetMap and helps you plan your walks, your hikes, your bicycle rides. And I think this is a uh, this is important to kind of reflect and use OpenStreetMap to to enjoy your city, much like you just mentioned. So you can edit, or you could just enjoy the power of local communities deciding where you should go walking. I'll drop the link for yeah, you guys later. I'm a, I'm a big I'm a big commute user. Uh, I use it to plan my gravel bike uh, rounds, and I think it's it's probably the most popular um, mapping app, or or I guess um, yeah, like I would say Google Maps is probably more ubiquitous, but Germans don't like Google all that much, um, and and Commute is one of those apps that literally everybody has um, because there's just so many great places to go. And it's, um, you know, you know, that the, that, you know, that it's the community telling you what's nice and what's not, it's not Mm -hmm. like, you know, it's not like some corporate decision about what to Mm -hmm. promote rather the local people in my community are telling me what, Mm -hmm. you know, nice places to go, which is, and they're usually right. (laughs) Yeah. Well, Google's been a really good citizen of open source too. So, I mean, everyone should choose Mm -hmm. whatever product or service serves their needs and their values. Um, and I think it's important that, um, as you said, you know, if it's run by the community and designed by the community, they'll tell you when the road's closed, right? <laughs> or at least they'll try, right? right. They'll exactly. tell you, they'll tell you that, 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 you know, that walk, that walk is not safe. And for me, this is really important because how women navigate the world, for example, you need to know where, where things are and where they're not, right? So if it's later at night, can you plan your route? This is why Kamut and all the other products that um, are out there, OSMAND, anything like that that you want to use. I think I've got four or five of them downloaded on my on my phone. Um, but yeah, it's good to it's good to test them out, and I'm glad that OpenStreetMap is um, is helping you in your neighborhood, Doug. Very nice, very nice. So the third book was um, on the on the Amazon page. It says. It's no exaggeration to say that this book is one of the best nonfiction books I've ever read. And this is the Wall Street Journal, mm-hmm. um, Science Book of the Year and all that kind of stuff. So what is this book and what drew you to it? Yeah. So it's called Behave and it's by Robert Sapolsky. And um, it actually comes from, it's a little bit of a story how I ended up to this book. And I think it's important because I think we all do journeys about how we use technology or how technology shapes our work. And so we've just been talking about how an app help, can help us with our navigation in the world. I was really interested in, in how I could do better software and better products and services. Um, you know, I've been working in technology for over 25 years, but there's no point that you, there's no point in your career that you ever stop learning or doing new things. And so I got to this point where I thought, well, okay, I need to understand what is the change that we want in the world. And, with technology, can we can we have an impact on behavior change, and how can we understand behavior science and its impact on technology? So I took a course uh, by by a gentleman named Brian Kugelman. I'm going to mispronounce his name, and it's um, called Behavior Applied Behavior Design. And so it was a nine week course um, looking at uh, the positive psychology behind tech software and the negative dark patterns. It goes from the whole the whole gamut. And he highly recommended this book. And so um, I love the course. I drank all of the articles that he read, he, he signed us. And um, I thought it was really important because in my particular work, um, I'm a humanitarian by trade um, in, in my job. 
And we're thinking about capacity building, we're thinking about behavior change. And so for me, I think even more so, it's our responsibility to think about what are the neg- negative implications of, of digital or, or technology interventions in our work? What are the positive ones? And then coming back down to my healthcare friends who, who I work with, they've been very inspirational to me in thinking about what is the change we want in terms of skills? And so I'll tell you a little bit more about how that had an impact in terms of a product I've worked on. But the the gist of it is, is that um, we need to respect and honor and give dignity in everything that we create and really kind of listen to the communities and drive what we create with those communities. And so when we think about change, it's, it's about owning that, but also understanding human behavior. If we think people are going to take mental leaps um, or do a bunch of hoops or a bunch of sec- extra steps to get engaged in something that we're super passionate about, we haven't really thought through how people interact with software. So it's a little bit of neuroscience, a little bit of emotional psychology, a little bit of behavior design, a little bit of interactive design. And so that's how I ended up at the book Behave. Um, and I'm not done reading it, full disclosure, but um, I have feel that, because it's pretty hefty, right? But I feel that the conversationalness of it and the approach, um, it almost feels like a science anthropology approach. Um, it's important that we're not so stuck in our, like, I'm a computer scientist, which I'm not, by the way, um, uh, or that I believe in technology and haven't thought about anthropology. I believe in technology and haven't thought about psychology. I think we need to start be really owning hybrid behavior. And that's what I think the book really nails is that we can't just think about change without thinking about the context and the complex systems that we work within. So long answer, but I hope it helps because I think it drives no, up some a, lots of questions. Mm-hmm. And also it's a, it's a lovely segue into some work that you two have been doing together recently mm-hmm. um, around the open organization. And there's a particular publication that we've got a link to in the show notes called Opening Up Social Impact Focused Organizations, which, when did this come out? Was it a couple of months ago? February? March? <laughs> March? Yeah. We're in line. March. <laughs> <laughs> I think we our original deadline for ourselves was February, but then we. You mm. know, well, why didn't why didn't you tell arbitrary. our listeners, um, both of you, about about this this publication, where it came about, what its aims are? Um, because very much in the area which you've already been talking about, Heather, about um, how do people work, how can you work better, what are the outcomes that we want, that kind of thing. So I'll let you take it from here, Laura. Well. Um, As Heather said in her introduction, she spent the majority of her career working between open technologies and the humanitarian uh, space. Um, And I've spent the most of the majority of my career working uh, between nonprofits and open technologies. We both have a background before before that of being at tech companies and building products and doing, um, you know, design or conceptualization of products. Um, And we have known each other for over a decade now. We've always been interested in communities. And back when we met, the very first time that we met, we said to each other, we should write a book together. And then it took (laughs) us 12 years (laughs) to, you know, because we just, both of us did our, we did our things and we were, you know, fighting the good fight for all of these years. And, And then in, I think it was in, November or so, Heather, that Heather was like, right, now is the time. We're doing this. Let's let's go. And it just so happened that I was like, yeah, why haven't we done this yet? 
Um, and so we decided to collaborate on, it's called an open perspective. It, it's a short ebook, um, about 30 or 40 pages, I, I guess, um, which is really a perspective on how open advocates can work within the social uh, impact focus space. Um, so within nonprofits, within non-governmental organizations, within humanitarian organizations, um, and what we wanted to do is we wanted to take all of this, all of our years of working in that in-between space, in between tech and social impact, um, and see if we could come up with some really practical top tips, tricks, advice, you know, like frameworks we've used, activities we've used, um, and pull it together in something that both explains the 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 mindset and the behavior and like the deep heart that you need for that work and also gives practical advice on how to how to maintain the momentum how to build communities and coalitions um yeah so that's that's uh that's how it came about i don't know heather what did i miss in my ramble there yeah no i don't think it was a ramble i think it was spot on um First of all, it was a pleasure to write this with you, Laura, and to work with the Red Hat team and the open organization team. Um, I'm really thankful for for the opportunity to kind of go through their editing process. And I think it also helps to, um, if you've been working for a number of years on something, whatever the topic is, and this is more for the audience, you know, um, don't feel like you don't have a lot to offer because I think you really do. And, um, and you know, find 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 a way to write down your lessons learned and and explore that because it really kind of does open up new doors um, in terms of your um, mental models, but also in terms of just giving thanks to all the people that you've been able to collaborate with over your career. And so that to me, I feel um, as somebody who believes in open principles, open practices, open source, open data, um, there's a sliding scale in, in our industries, right? So whether it be businesses trying to create, create open source program offices or companies just trying to work on open source or have those conversations about how can we be more transparent or accountable, I think that applying those open principles to your work is really hard and heavy lifting and deep work, as Laura mentioned. And you know, we we had some hard 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 lived lessons that we've learned about trying to talk through that scale of building it into an organization, respecting and honoring the organization and the culture and the behavior, but at the same time, trying to do that transformation with them and say, listen, you know, it really is aligned to open, and here's how it's aligned, and building the scaffolding within the community and the network and supporting your allies, whether it's in your in your company or organization or your nonprofit or INGO, or it's in your um, in your work. I think it's really valuable to say, what am I doing to make things open today? And am I listening? I think that um, what really struck me um, about writing this the most was that we both of us in our respective organizations spent a lot of time listening to what the problem set is and understanding what the culture was and then trying to align well how we thought open would adjust. And so, um, you know, lots of people like to say open washing, but I would ask them to pause for a second and think about how hard it is to to affect change and think about behavior change. When you think about how much adults change in their mindset, how hard it is to change bureaucracy, what the change management in terms of processes are required. Um, we really did dig into like, you know, uh, farewell, but also know that um, there's allies both in your organization, uh, which we shared some tactics, but also outside the organization. Laura and I have never worked in the same organization, but as we started to talk through and work through our kind of problems and, and challenges or opportunities, um, there was a lot of like 
oh gosh, we should have probably talked about this a long time ago. And I think that, I think that if anything, you know, it's a real gift to meet somebody else who cares about trying to bring open in a listening way inside an organization and really respect what the existing institution needs and what the society's um, kind of context is. But then again, try and do some culture hacking and be brave, um, you know, and just be ready, ready for the friction. Mm-hmm. Right. But, but, but own it and do yeah, it. Yeah, that's, you know, something you just said there that I think that's, that's the really big thing is that there is no one size fits all for bringing openness to an organization or for opening up a team or a set of processes or whatever. It is so highly contextually based on the people in the room. And, you know, this is something that that we see in our work all of the time. It's the same with, you know, um, education, for example, it has to do with the, with the person on the other side and you have to understand First, listen first before that you can find a method or a tactic or you know, activity or whatever that's really going to work for that person or that group of people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that it's, as you said, it is very hard to apply some of the mental models that surround openness and open principles. Um, it's like there's lots of words there, and it's hard to apply that stuff. And so, I'm, you know, I'm I'm very interested in in. Like I also very much enjoyed working with you, Heather, and in writing this piece, it was so grounding to find that you and I had similar frustrations in this work, um, that we, you know, that we found that some of the things that were so hard about this work were really, um, they were not unique to the organizations, but rather maybe a reflection of society as a whole. Mm-hmm. And I think... I think that's the thing about, you know, people who, who are working within systems change is that they experience this lesson and it can be, it's easy to feel alone in it. it it's easy to feel like, you know, people don't really understand how hard it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was a real solidarity piece that, um, that made me very happy. And mm-hmm. um, that's, you know, basically my favorite thing about advocacy work yeah. at all is the the solidarity that you build when you're building communities. Mm-hmm. So I read this when I was on holiday uh, last month. And the I think there were three things that I really enjoyed about it. Um, working in the same area was the first was kind of the conceptualizing of things which can be quite intuitive sometimes you just do things without necessarily thinking about it because you've got prior experience but you kind of named those things which was really helpful because then once they're named you can refer to them Um, and then you did the opposite of that you kind of took things which were named but potentially scary or unclear to people and gave practical examples of what that meant and then you were just very honest throughout about how it can be stressful and tiring and frustrating, um, but that actually sharing that frustration and stress and whatever openly itself um, helps you find allies and other organizations like you have. Um, so I found it just quite a refreshing and, and motivating read. and would encourage other people to read it too. Wow. Thanks, Doug. <laughs> yeah. No, I think finding, yeah, I think I'd like, yeah, I'd like to see more people reach out in the open family, if you will. And, you know, and really, really connect. And so while we're on all these events, I think, um, or online, I think many of us have found those allies, but there are a lot of people out there that are working on open things that haven't um, found the network or the community that, that helps them thrive. 
And, you know, I, I belong to a number of different networks, whether it be Open Heroines, which is a bunch of um, uh, uh, people who identify as women, uh, who who um, work on governance, open source products and services. And they're, they're an incredible network and they've been my allies. Then there's the OpenStreetMap network. Then there's Open Organization Network. And so it's a lot of work to networking. I understand that. But I would say that um, if you are... Um, on the journey to bring open to your organization, um, do do seek out people who've been doing it already, um, or people within whatever your favorite topic in the open family is. Um, uh, you know, there's a whole group called Inner Source Commons, which I really have a lot of respect for, for trying to bring open principles and open practices into large corporations. And they're doing it, you know, behind closed doors, but it's the tactics around it. And so there's there's no shortage of networks out there. And I think that that's important is this, to take the step that you are not alone in doing that. And also just to have the, the joy of discovering what other people did and see if it would work in your organization and then have those conversations and do the work. But have fun while you do it, though. Too over. Hmm. Hmm. The, I remember there was a um, an image which Brian Mothers, our colleague Brian Mothers, drew to kind of go along with something we were writing, and it was years ago, and it was like a lift, and it was like levels of openness, and one of the levels was not yet, and just how soul destroying not yet can be for people advocating for openness. Because it's not a no. People are very unlikely to say no to like the organization being more open unless it's like a very controlled area or organization or whatever. Um, and how dispiriting it can be thinking that you failed by other people just going on like going on a go slow with you. Um, so finding other people is is really important. And it might be, just to be clear, um, and I definitely got this from your work, it might be that other people aren't self-identifying in the same way that you are. They might be not not using the word open, or might not even be in exactly the same industry as you. But um, allies can come in all different shapes and sizes. Yeah, and I I would plus one that on Doug. Um, you know, I work in innovation. Um, and yesterday I was on the call with um people who work and live in the Americas region, and we decided that for something that we're doing, we won't necessarily call it innovation. We'll call it, you know, change or or networking or people like we wanted to take away the words that might be too loaded or confusing, and find ways to make it a safe and healthy place. And I think Laura and I really talked through this when we were working on the article is that how do you, like, I would have meetings or do things that I'd be, I wouldn't necessarily say the word open source or open data. I'd be like, tell me more about how you work. Tell me how you share information. Tell me what would make it better. And those questions, like putting and really framing the question to, again, and deeply listening, like not, not expecting people, um, the not yet is such a huge opportunity, right? <laughs> like it's such a huge opportunity and people very brave people within my organization spent years with that not yet tinkering away at it. And there's like lots of insights and examples. And so I'm one of many people who've been tinkering away at bringing open into the Red Cross Red Crescent in different ways, whether it's products, services, methodologies, and that corpus, we build on each other's shoulders with the insights and examples. And I think this is, this is a thing. I think not yet. Um, don't be, don't be afraid. There's many people who started with not yet. Um, it's exciting, actually. Daunting, for sure. But again, that's where you need allies over. And, and, and zooming out to the kind of, um, because we've mentioned Red Hat, we've mentioned the open organization. And I know we've talked about this on the podcast before, but people might only be listening to this episode or might have missed that context. Um, 
people might not know who Red Hat are, they might not know what the open organization is. So maybe one of you could just give a bit more context around this because they've obviously supported your work and allowed you to come together and collaborate and publish and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, so the, the open organization is an upstream community that is now supported by uh, Red Hat through their open source program office. But originally, it was a group of people, open advocates, um, and the, the only sort of support that they, that they had, um, they formed around this idea of open principles. There was a book um, that the, the CEO of Red Hat at the time, he's no longer the CEO, Jim Whitehurst, he wrote a book about his experience bringing open or like getting into the world of open. It was called the open organization. And that book did not have the open principles. It was, it was his personal experience. And the community that formed around this book said they saw something within his story, realizing that there was a lot of alignment with their own experiences, these open advocates. And so um, a small community was formed and it's, it's an open source community, but it's slightly, it's, it's slightly different than like a typical code community because really um, what we're interacting around is ideas and concepts. Um, and so this community a number of years ago really said, okay, what are the mindsets and the behaviors around a, a healthy open source community? How do they actually work? How, what's the interaction like? and came up with these open principles. And the whole time um, we were given a platform to, to publish our thoughts and our ideas on opensource.com, which is a, um, a site that is also sponsored by Red Hat. Um, and so this community of people over the past, I think, six years or so, um, we kind of were all quote unquote experts in open and we sort of found each other and, um, yeah, and, and began to have this intellectual conversation about sort of the humanity of open, for lack of a better word. Uh, and so now um, through the open source project, uh, program office at Red Hat, the community is supported, lightly supported um, with like editing help, um, compilation help. Uh, we have a, a, our infrastructure, like our community forum uh, is hosted by the open source program office. Um, and we all, we all work in different organizations and we do slightly different things, but what we have in common is like this belief of the open principles and a desire to contribute to the intellectual landscape of what open means, um, outside of open source code. Thanks, oh. Laura. <laughs> yeah. Over, 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 over. So I would say, um, you know, open source communities or people who are working on open, they can only be healthy if they have those kind of outer circles of good governance, of community engagement, of listening, of analysis. Um, I love chaos for, for their work on terms of how do you measure a healthy community, right? I love what they're doing. I love what Open Collective does to try and help people be sustainable. I mean, there are lots of pieces around code that make open healthy, but this particular organization, I think, um, you know, and I, I'm sure if you're really passionate about writing around open and really kind of get into the think, I really, I really feel like I am inspired to learn from them. And uh, while I don't have hours in the day to always write more, I feel really proud that we were able to kind of nail down something that we thought really needed to kind of go to the corpus with Laura over and Brian, who was our editor at the time. Yeah. Hmm. I feel like we always have to explain that open is a contested term mm. and that 
people who have a technological bent, as you've already mentioned, tend to automatically associate with open source. And we find that a lot. Our co-op is called We Are Open. So, you know, we have constant discussions about Mm -hmm. should everything we use be open source? And then we think, well, no, because open's wider than just using open source. And there's there's an article, which I think you're both aware of, which I'm going to put in the show notes, called 50 Shades of Open, which I just really enjoy sharing with people if they get a chance to read it because it is an academic article but it's quite nicely written about different what we mean by openness and I feel like what you two have been discussing there actually covers all of the different definitions of what is meant by open in this particular article and that's so refreshing because often openness is very tightly defined as being technology or access, or data, or whatever it is. So yeah, it's good stuff. It's a big tent. Yeah, I like to say big tent. I like to say people before data, people before code. None of this stuff would be mm. open's never going to win if we don't figure out how um, to work within all the different contexts and respect and honor the fact that what open means in northern Canada or in Switzerland where I live versus um, my friends in Malaysia who are working on open or my friends in India who are working on open, they have they they might take the open principles, but they might have a different way of applying it and approaching it and talking about it. And so respecting those local communities and their version of open is a, is a very hard topic to have, conversation to have. There are some very rigid views on open, which, you know, while valiant, um, are not inclusive, right? And so in humanitarian OpenStreetMap, we've had a large debate around what is community, what is interaction, what is activities, what is contributions. And um, we we did a bunch of writing around that um, um, in terms of making sure that things were more inclusive. And that comes from really listening and understanding that my version of open and my little tried question that five of us really care about might not necessarily help the other you know, 100,000 people be involved in open. So I think open has to do a little bit of um, um, uh, a little bit more listening, if you will. And I think there's lots of open communities that are doing it, but there's some that are still really closed. And um, Kate Kate uh, Chapman from Humanitarian OpenStream, she's the uh, chair of the board right now, and myself, um, we did a presentation for State of the Map, which is the large OpenStreetMap event a couple years ago. And I took the open principles and I said, okay, well, let's think about how open OpenStreetMap is. And so I said some pretty controversial things about like how, how we work within the community, who leads the working groups. And so anybody's able, able to join the working groups, but maybe their meetings are at different times. And there's been a lot of changes since that time. But, you know, who decides the rules and regulations around how an open community works actually has a huge impact on who's part of that community. So, yeah, it's, just, it's about power and decisions. So, yeah, I'm glad to hear um, that we're also widening the circle around who's open. And my, my answer is yeah. everyone's open. Let's just talk about how we get there together, right, and how we listen more. Yeah, and I love talking about the the continuum of open. You know, it's it's not a binary. It's not open mm-hmm. or closed. It's a continuum. Um, so Heather, I know you have a hard stop soon, and I wanted to make sure that we had a little bit of time to hear about your upcoming launch. Um, I would love for you to tell us about what you've been working on, um, and yeah, just whatever you want to say about it, tell the audience what is, what is about to be live on the internet. Sure. Sure. So 
it's already live technically. So we, um, I, I've been working for the last five and a half years on something called the IFRC Data Playbook. And so the Data Playbook is a Creative Commons license. We did a beta version, which launched in 2018. And it's um, the beta version had 60 games, scenarios, checklists, and, um, and slides to help people on their data journey everywhere across the life cycle. And it was created by IFRC and some of our partners, um, at volunteers, staff, uh, the Center for Humanitarian Data, other people who came to our workshops, and something which we created called the Data Literacy Consortium. Um, I believe that data learning needs to be open. Um, and it needs to be collaborative and that people should take a social learning approach. There's lots of tools and software out there, but what we aren't doing is having an inclusive conversation. So the premise of the playbook is really about network-centered resources, um, which Dirk Slater from Fab Writers has been such a champion and a co-editor of the playbook with me, as well as Melissa Helmesh. Um, the new playbook, the version one, uh, we have 120 exercises, games, scenarios. Um, it's coming out in the next few weeks. Um, it has been uh, we had 270 collaborators from around the world. So getting 270 people excited about doing documentation, lots of heavy lifting. And so we did, yeah. we, you know, not a lot of people, documentation is the last thing that people care about sometimes, and it's the most important. And so we're very excited about the playbook for a couple of reasons. It wasn't just a product. We actually made it a, a community effort. And we had skill shares. We had um, over 50 events um, along to build it and co-create it. We had editing rounds. We were thinking about transforming how people facilitate events and how they facilitate conversations to be more inclusive and supportive of people's kind of diverse, as you said, the sliding scale of data skills, uh, sliding scales of skills. And we used some of the open principles and we used a lot of participatory design and we did it in a way that um, um, we feel is our gift back in the fact that it was created for and by, the version one was created for and by the Red Cross, Red Crescent and some partners, but it was majority Red Cross, Red Crescent people, but we are making it Creative Commons. We are going to put it on GitHub. Um, well, it is Creative Commons license, um, CC by uh, NC uh, a 4.0, I think is the license. But we're, we're putting it out there because previously with our beta, many humanitarian organizations and development organizations, and, and for example, the Canadian government, um, used, used the playbook. And so we feel that skills should be open and training should be open to be able to help people remix it, add their own local examples and their own scenarios and, and, and be a living, breathing document. And so I'm excited to have it out in the universe and see what people do with it. But let's roll it up a bit. If we start thinking about how we talk about digital transformation or if we talk about how, how we talk about any of our work, um, if it's co-created and owned by the community, whatever it is, a product, a service, a methodology, you know, a change, if you already have owners and users before you even launch, that's a better way to go. And so, yes, we did a beta before we did the, the launch of the V1 version one. Um, I think that, that we've learned a lot about what not to do with product development, and we learned a lot about what we can do. <laughs> I, I, you got to be honest, right? Like, it's a lot of learning, right? And yeah. so we, we're going to publish all of our methodology and some of our lessons. But the thing I'm most proud about is that I get notes from some of these contributors that they said, you know, I got to meet people from around the world and really, you know, feel like I can take this back to my community. And it's something that we created for ourselves. So, yes, there's lots of consultants out there, lots of tech companies that you can hire. But if your community can write something for you that might actually benefit themselves, but other people, like we had a very narrow use case, like 
people who do data and digital work around the Red Cross, Red Crescent, that was our audience. However, we we were super surprised when people, other people wanted to use it. And I think this is the gift of open is if you do the bravery and you negotiate with your legal department, hello, that was fun. Um, and you negotiate with your technical <laughs> departments. No, but if you just say, listen, this is, this is, this is, this is, this is, this belongs. And my, my back donor was very happy to have it open. So, you know, you got to do the negotiation, but giving something yeah. to the world to let people create with it and use it. I think this is the whole point of, of, of doing it. And so while I've just spent five and a half years trying to build out an open product and an open methodology, um, I, I think that anybody can, can figure out what you're working on and figure out how to bring open um, in, in delicate ways and respect and honor your culture, but just, just drive, drive that way if you can over. And you never know who's, we, we always have a view of who's listening to us and paying attention to us as mm-hmm. individuals and organizations and stuff. But we're often quite wrong about that. Um, sometimes the people who we think are paying most attention aren't paying that much attention. And sometimes people we've never heard of and organizations we don't know about are, are paying attention. And I've certainly found that in, in my work. Um, I've been connected with people who are just doing stuff that I had an inkling it might be nice if we did something like this and they've already done all of the work Love it. and you can imagine completely replicating that yeah um had you not been aware of it so mm-hmm. yeah bringing people in sharing all the stuff um is a really really valuable thing to do so thank you for bringing that into the world heather um, is there a link right now? You said it's kind of already launched well, or do we need to wait until the, the formal launch? What I mean by it is that we launched in 2018, the beta, but our new version will be coming out in a couple of weeks. I can't give you the new version because okay. it's not live. Okay. I'll give you the previous version um, and then I'll give you all the blog mm-hmm. posts because what we did is we told our story along the way. Um, but Doug, I think yeah. your point around um, doing the research and observing and listening, don't look inside your own organization there might be other practices that you can build upon, right? And I think that's really important. And you never know who's using your work. I absolutely agree. But you never know how you might have an impact on someone else's life to make um, to make a difference. So um, be thankful if you actually do. But um, I think the biggest change that happened to me for the playbook was that it changed how I work, which I'm glad for. I had to change often as somebody who's leading something. And I think that's important that if you're thinking about change and behavior change or open, you have to be super hyper flexible that your version of who you are and your place in that and your place in the community and how you respect and honor the fact that they might need something different. That's part of the beautiful journey. Right. And I'm just glad that, um, you know, we can build on each other's work wherever we are and whatever we're doing over. Hmm. Heather, this has been a great conversation. I feel like I've um, come to know you, um, even better during the, the last 40 minutes or so. Um, if people want to kind of follow your work and find out more about you and your organization, where's the best place? Is there a single URL they can go to? Where's the best place to point people? Yeah. And so I'm about to say that I heavily use social media because that's where people are. Um, so I do use Facebook, but I use that for family and friends. So I'd rather say um, Twitter or LinkedIn. I'm always sharing articles okay. and also championing people who are doing behavior change, innovation, um, and, and that I feel like there's just these beautiful communities out there that are doing good work. So basically Twitter or, um, or LinkedIn is the best place, um, uh, right now. Cool. So on um, LinkedIn, you're Heather Leeson, L-E-S-O-N. <laughs> and on Twitter, it's H Leeson, H-L-E-S-O-N for people who want to follow. It's no, it's um, my, it's my full name. Yeah. <laughs> 
I have a, I have a fake. There's a fake Heather. Oh, my world is safe now. Yes, finally. I didn't I didn't get the blue check mark, so therefore I get the fake Heather. I'm so delighted. There is a fake Doug Bowshaw, and they were trolling me for a bit ten years ago. But let's that's for another. Congratulations. We can we should do another example about like how not how to how to work in the open and expect trolls because I've been trolled too. So it's good. You yeah. know what? Yeah. <laughs> Have at it. I'm busy doing good work, doing my best. So whatever people need to do to make their day better, I, I wish them well. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, apologies for getting that wrong. Heather Leeson on Twitter and on LinkedIn. Um, thank you so much for, for being on our podcast. Any final words, Laura? No, just thank you. I'm always super smiley after I talk to you. It is such a pleasure to be anywhere in your sphere. Your passion mm -hmm. is infectious. And uh, big love to you okay. and to everything you do for the world of open. Thanks, Laura. Thanks, Doug. And and um, good luck on your open journeys, everyone. Bye. <laughs>